Okay, let's get it. It is Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Glad to have you aboard with us here. Tell your friends, Daily LSU Podcast. If you listen to my radio show, this is like AFR, a three-hour radio show condensed into about 20 minutes or so, 20, 30 minutes. So a more watch list, a more info on Beer and Tiger Stadium, and your Q&A will get to it. So on yesterday's uh, edition, we talked about Zach Von Rosenberg up for the Ray Guy Award. We now know that the Blake Ferguson and Clyde edwards Zeller are also on watch list for national awards. Blake Ferguson, who's another one of the really good guys, he's up for the, the good guy award. Um, it's the uh, the Danny Warfel Trophy, the Warfel Trophy named after Danny Warfel, which goes to college football's top community servant. And uh, Ferguson was a was a uh, a finalist or semifinalist for this last year. He's on the um, the SEC Football Leadership Council. He's the chairman of it, as a matter of fact. We also learned, we talked to Blake about this not long ago. He's a type 1 diabetic, so he's actually, he's been an advocate for the American Diabetes Association. He actually went to Congress to uh, to lobby on behalf of, of um, the American Diabetes Association. He um, he was a part of Tim Tebow's foundation, The Night to Shine, which is a prom for special needs kids. He visited the Companion Animal Alliance. This is all in the release. And it's a, a, fa- a facility that shelters animals. And then he also served as a volunteer P instructor at Glasgow Elementary. So Blake Ferguson, another one of the good guys. You know, between Reed and Blake, you're gonna have you know, nine straight years, I guess eight, but uh, of of Ferguson snapping the football. They they overlapped for a year, um, but so nine years of a Ferguson on campus. And then Clyde edwards elair today on the Paul Hornick watch list. This is an interesting one for me, and I, I think everybody knows Clyde played a Catholic. I called his games when he was at Catholic. And he's a, a dynamic player, and I think one of the guys that's very likely going to break out this year in a similar way that Nick Brissett did last year where kind of patiently waited his turn, and then he was was just next in line, got more reps, and had a 1,000-yard season. I don't know if Clyde's going to have a 1,000-yard season just because I think the offense is, is going to look a little different. But I, when I think of his role, like what Clyde's role in this offense looks like, I don't think it's it's what Nick Brissett did a year ago or – you know, maybe what Geist did before that or Fournette did before that where you're talking about 200 carries in a season or something like that. Just because I don't think that's what this offense is going to ask him to do. But, you know, when I look at, at Joe Brady having come from the Saints where you had Ingram and Kamara, well, Clyde is the Kamara, the guy that's going to catch the ball out of the backfield and be more of your change of pace back. I'm not, I'm not saying he's Alvin Kamara. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying it's that role. When you think about... Um, those USC offenses that Ed Ogeron always loves to talk about. Well, you had Reggie Bush and Lundale White. Well, Clyde is is the Reggie Bush in that offense. Again, I'm not saying he's Reggie Bush. I'm not saying he's going to win a Heisman Trophy, but he's that role, that change of pace guy, whereas you'll have the between-the-tackles thumper as well. The Nick Brissett had 1,000 yards last year, but he had 240 attempts. Clyde had 146. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Clyde's number is similar this year to that 146 of a year ago. It'll probably uptick a little, but I don't think he gets to 240. Like I don't think he has a hundred more attempts this year than he did last year. But and because you've got John Emery coming in, you've got Ty Davis Price coming in, you've got Chris Curry now as a redshirt freshman available. Lenard Fournette's a senior, and we saw last year they were willing to work Lenard Fournette into the offense. So I don't know that Clyde's going to have the 240 you know attempts or, or even 200 attempts. Could he? Could he be in the? The 175 range where he gets maybe another couple of carries a game has an extra 30 or so carries. I think he could be in that range. But I look at I look at Reggie Bush's sophomore year at Southern Cal. 
not his Heisman year. His Heisman year in 05, he had 1,700 rushing yards and just under 500 receiving yards. I'm not suggesting that. But as a sophomore, Reggie ran for 908 and had 509 receiving yards. I think if Clyde could give you 900 yards on the ground and 500 yards receiving, I think he'd have, and if he continues returning kicks like he did last year, I think he'd have a phenomenal opportunity to win the Hornig Award because of the way this offense is set up. It's set up for someone. The Hornig Award goes to the most versatile player in college football. Odell won it in 2013, if you remember. He was returning kicks, sometimes returned punts. Um, He uh, obviously was a a dynamic receiver as well. But I think Clyde, of of the guys I just mentioned, I think Clyde's got a great shot to win this award because LSU's going to be good. I think they'll they'll end up 10-2. and They'll be in that mix all year. So they will be very much in in the public eye. There'll be a lot of notoriety. And I think in this offense where they're going to ask this particular running back to catch the ball out of the backfield, to run the ball, and he'll probably also return kicks. I think Clyde's going to have a really good chance at a breakout year to be in the mix for this award. And one other thing about Clyde, because some of you have mentioned, hey, Matt, when uh, LSU offered Clyde, uh, you were opposed to that. And I was. Now, full disclosure, um, I I called all of Clyde edwards Elair's games at Catholic High. So I saw that kid play varsity from the time he was a freshman all the way through the time they won a state championship with him uh, in 2015 and then into his senior season as well. They were, uh, he, he was dynamic. His first ever touch as a freshman playing varsity was against Parkview Baptist. He fielded a punt around midfield off of one hop, made a guy miss, and he was off to the races. First ever touch, he returned a punt for a touchdown. So, and Clyde has some deceptive lower body strength, but the thing about Clyde is you got to remember when LSU recruited him, that was less miles his offense. Clyde Edwards Elair at 5'9 and at the time sh- you know, short of 200 pounds, you know, maybe 185, he's not the guy you want dotting the eye with two tights out of power sets running between the tackles. That's not to say in spread formations he can't get low, push a pile, and, and gain yardage between the tackles. That's just not where he's dynamic. So I didn't like him in less miles his offense. I'd said, man, he could go to Missouri, he can go to Kentucky, he can go to Ole Miss, he can go to plays like that and be one of the best running backs in the history of those programs. But for what less miles his offenses were at LSU, I didn't think Clyde was a great fit. For this offense, spread it out, offset eye out of the shotgun, you know, draw plays out of the shotgun, spread formation, throw it to the back out of the backfield, swing passes. This is built for Clyde. It's one of the reasons I think he's got a great chance to win this award. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. We'll knock out a quick break. Also told you yesterday, beer is coming to Tiger Stadium, beer and wine, uh, to the general seating areas. Had a chance to visit with LSU Senior Associate AD for external communications, uh, the PR guy for LSU, Robert Munson, uh, and you'll hear that conversation next. Locked on LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We continue here. Locked On LSU, your team every day. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Remember, this is available however you listen to podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, 
uh, Google Play, uh, Spreaker, Stitcher, all of them. You Wherever you get podcasts, this is there. Just search Locked on LSU. Please hit the subscribe button. Please, 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 please hit the subscribe button. That is a tremendous help. So we now know that LSU will sell beer and wine in Tiger Stadium to the general uh, seating areas. LSU uh, Senior Associate AD Robert Munson joined me on After Further Review to provide some details. Well, I, I know you think it may have been inevitable, and maybe it was, but we certainly, as you said, had some uh, I's to dot and some T's to cross and wanted to, frankly, just make sure we did this in a thoughtful and deliberate way. Uh, it, it, it may have indeed been inevitable, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of logistics uh, that we needed to make sure that uh, we handled before we made an announcement. So can we go through some of those logistics? Like, is is the biggest challenge, like, actually procuring the beer and wine? Like, is that a, a tough thing to do? No, the, the, the biggest challenge for us is, frankly, just the size and complexity of our stadium. So uh, simply supplying and distributing beer and wine and then taking care of, you know, little things like trash and recycling, which is going to be enormous when you think of all those cans and bottles of wine that'll that'll have to go somewhere so there's just some some logistics we needed to walk through and and make sure that uh, we were getting to our fans what they want when they want is that an added i would imagine it would be an added expense right i mean to to clean up all the the extra waste sure it, it is and, and you know we're adding a lot of people we're adding a lot of kiosks we're adding a lot of cold storage we're adding a lot of trash and recycling uh, there are a number of expenses associated with it, but of course we expect some additional revenue too. Adding security as well? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to get into the security protocols necessarily, but we're very pleased with where we are with our security. And uh, we're going to be monitoring all of our fans and all of our transactions and uh, we're making sure everybody's following that code of conduct. Robert Munson's with us. He's on Twitter at Robert J. Munson, Senior Associate AD for External Communications out at LSU. This might file under the, if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk. But beer and wine, why not liquor as well, hard alcohol? Uh, SEC policy. That's stated. It's a mandate that beer and wine is all that we are allowed to sell in the public areas of the stadium. So do you think you'll go to bat and, uh, and fight for some, some bourbon? I mean, well, I, I don't think any of this is written in stone, Matt. I think... <laughs> This is the first year we're going to evaluate where we are. We're going to see what it looks like. And and uh, I imagine this is going to be a conversation we will have yearly and make some adjustments as necessary. You give me a little whistle pig cast finish, I'm in, man. You know that, right? I mean, I'm <laughs> all in. I, I, do, I, may, I may not even watch the game. I may just hang out at the bar. Um, yeah, I don't like that either. Let's get you in the game. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm also assuming that throughout this process, either since May or even prior, that you all collectively studied results of other schools? What was that process like? Yeah, so this is new to us, right? But it's not new to sports. And, and this has been going on, obviously, all over the country in stadiums at all levels. There are best practices uh, that are sort of tried and true that we're, that we're taking from. And, you know, our concessions partner, Airmark, has tons of experience in this area all over the country, too. So we're not reinventing the wheel we're just establishing some new policies and procedures here for you know that are appropriate for our stadium and our fan base. Is there anything that fans will so fans are used to going into Tiger Stadium and have for years and years and years? Is there anything that will be noticeably different about their experience going to and walking through Tiger Stadium aside from just when you walk up to the concession stand, you can buy beer or wine? No, I mean we're you know this is mostly going to take place at the stands. We are going to have some new islands and kiosks around, primarily in some of the South Stadium areas where there's a lot of room. But it's, it's mostly going to be, you're going to notice additional offerings at our concession stands and, 
it's important to note that not every stand is going to have the entirety of what we're going to offer just because some of the stands are a lot smaller than the others. They can only have so much capacity. Is I also noticed in the release about the, uh, you mentioned the kiosks a few times, and I'm looking for the exact phrasing that you all use for the, the designated driver program. Um, do you, uh, off, do you have off the top of your head, what's it called, the designated driver program? It's a safe driver tiger program, and, and it's a program that we're doing in conjunction with our partners at Airmark, and uh, we're still working out the details of it, Matt, but there's going to be some incentive, probably something along the lines of a concession voucher that we're going to offer to folks who agree to sign up and register as a designated driver for their group. Cool. Is have you? I've gone through some of the numbers that I found just doing research, right? Like Ohio State generated about $1.1 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Virginia has seen binge drinking drop 25 to 30%-ish. Any of of that? Have you have you all done as a department any projections as far as revenue or even the binge drinking numbers or anything like that? Yeah, we've looked at both, and we looked at it at multiple properties, both collegiate and professional, all over the country. Uh, Matt, I, I it is difficult to compare Tiger Stadium to anywhere else in the world, and you know we have some educated guesses about where we're going to go revenue wise, but frankly, they're just guesses, and I, I don't think we're going to know. Uh, exactly what we're looking at until halfway through the the season, and we can kind of evaluate where we are then. We do expect significant revenue, but keep in mind, there's some displacement. You may go to the concession stand and normally get a hot dog, Coke, and a water. Now you might just get a hot dog, water, and a beer. So there's some displacement between the Coke and the beer, and we don't exactly know what that percentage is going to look like. Makes a lot of sense. Um, The uh, one more thing for you here. The the chute and the yard, obviously, are things that you have all, all have implemented. I guess we can go to the Skyline Club as well as ways that people could, could consume. What's been the feedback that you've gotten from fans on those areas? Really, really good. And, in fact, we, we had a review today on that with a working group that we set up to evaluate everything that we're doing. We looked at the data from all of those facilities that you just mentioned and a couple things stand out. The, the first thing that stands out is not one singular incident at the shoot or at the yard or at the Skyline Club throughout the entirety of last year. That that tells us that people are having fun. That tells us they're being responsible. And we think that will translate to the larger arena. So, to, to be clear, no no incident that would involve security or anything like that? No negative incident. That's right. Security incidents, ATC incidents, that sort of thing. Got it. Uh, and the one other thing worth noting as well that I noticed that there there will not be alcohol for sale near the student section? The Yeah, that's correct. The concession stands that are immediately adjacent to the student section will not be selling beer and wine. Will you have vendors? That, w- well, go ahead, sorry. Well, that, that really enables us to do a couple of things. Uh, one, it enables us to place some of our volunteer groups who may have an objection one way or another to selling beer and wine, this gives them a good location to do that. Got it. That makes sense. Um, like Boy Scouts and things like that. that that's Correct. About, exactly. Right. Got it. Um, are you going to have vendors walking up and down the stands? No, no hawking. That's also a mandate from the SEC. So uh, if you want beer and wine, you have to go to a concession stand to get it. It's Locked on LSU, your team every day. We'll wrap up with your Q&A next. Wrapping up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Uh, We're brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's vacation. Book your own at Hotels.com. Stay and get rewarded, Hotels.com. All right, uh, we wrap up with your Facebook Live Q&A. If you're not familiar, jump on my Facebook page. It's at Matt Moscona AFR on Facebook. And uh, like the page. Set notifications when we go live. 
you'll get a notification. We're live. You can jump on, and you could be uh, moderately podcast fam- famous. Like Randy Dabdube, who's first out the sh- shoot, who said, Matt, how are you feeling about Roy? So Roy, of course, is uh, Jaqueline Roy, four-star defensive lineman out of University High in Baton Rouge, really on the LSU campus. He's set to announce his commitment today, Friday, um, and it'll be LSU, Alabama, or Texas A&M, but everyone universally sort of expects it to be LSU or Alabama. Um, I I feel uh, – so I have no inside information to be completely forthright. I have no idea. I don't know Jaqueline Roy. I don't ask you high coaches. I don't know his parents. I, I, I don't pretend to know the, the inside scoop on recruiting because, by and large, 18-year-olds change on a whim. And I think it's a very unenviable task trying to project what they're going to do. But uh, people around LSU seem confident that, that he's going to pick LSU. He was once committed to LSU, and let's be very clear. There are two premier defensive linemen in the state of Louisiana this year, Jaqueline Roy and Jacoby and Guillory. Uh, he's from Ash, Alexandria Senior High. You've got to get one of those two. If you get both of them, splendid. But you got to get at least one. If it's not Roy today, then you've got to get Jacoby and Guillory. Uh, and I'd say it because Ed Ogeron said it. They've got to get better defensive linemen. And if you miss out on Roy and he goes to Alabama, it just continues to be a really bad look, but also just functionally it's bad that you've got these top-tier national defensive linemen from you know within an hour of your campus that keep picking your rival. Last year was Ish Sopcher. Uh So yeah, a couple of years ago, you had the kid from uh, from uh, up in North Louisiana uh, that went to Bama. You just you got to start winning some of these, especially when your head coach is a defensive line coach and is known as a noted recruiter. You got to win these battles, especially when it's a kid in Baton Rouge. So um, I, they're confident about it. We'll see when he makes his decision, but it would be a great get if they could. Uh, Shelby, which undrafted LSU guys have the best chance of making an NFL roster? It's a really good question. Um, it, it's always interesting to me um, when you see guys who have that opportunity and make it. Um, I tend to look at positions where you've got a, a lot of roster spots. You know, I think a guy like Garrett Brumfield, because he can be versatile on the interior of the line, might have a shot of making the Steelers, if not making the team, possibly being signed to the practice squad. Um, and then I'd also look at, like, receivers and defensive backs. You know, John Battle's a guy that I think uh, has played really good football and probably has a chance of sticking in the NFL. So, you know, a couple of those guys – Nick Brissett is also an interesting one because I, I don't think he's nearly as skilled as, say, a Daryl Williams who went undrafted but made the team in Kansas City and contributed as a rookie. Um, but LSU running backs have just had a, had success and have had a chance to, to stick at the next level. So there's a couple of guys I'd keep an eye on. Um, Kenny Brazan, playoffs this year? Um, I don't think so. I think LSU will go 10-2, and and I don't think 10-2 and is getting in the playoffs, especially with the loss to Bama. But if you want the roadmap, it's win every game except your road game at Bama. You lose that as a close game and your only loss. If the Pac-12 and Big 12 champions each have a couple of losses, then I think you've got a fantastic chance of getting in as a one-loss team, just like Alabama did two years ago when they lost to Auburn, did not play in the SEC championship game. Georgia beat Auburn for the SEC championship, and then Georgia and Alabama uh, made it into the playoffs. I think that would be LSU's path uh, to the playoffs. Um, I think it's unlikely, but that's a better shot than them beating Alabama and you know, winning the SEC. 
Okay, a few more. Uh, chances Mo Hampton plays this year. I think it's going to be very difficult. I think he's got a better chance of playing as a freshman in baseball than he does as a freshman in football just because LSU's loaded in the secondary. Um, with Grant Delpit and Todd Harris back there, and then you look at guys like Monroe and Stevens, they're just, they have an abundance of talent in the secondary. It's hard for me to see where he fits in. If I were at Ogeron of that staff, I'd try to find a way to get him to play in four games and maintain that redshirt year, although they could look at it from the standpoint that because of baseball, you know you're not keeping that kid more than three years, so you might as well play him. But I think he's got a better chance of making an impact on the baseball diamond as a freshman than he does on the football field just because of depth. Uh, Thomas Morvant, does LSU change their red zone approach against Georgia Southern in order to give the new kicker as many kicks as possible? I don't think so. I, especially when you're running a new offense. I think, so this is interesting. Because I've had a lot of people suggest, you know, maybe LSU plays it close to the vest against Georgia Southern, not to show anything against Texas. In theory, that makes a lot of sense. Practically speaking, I think that's a terrible idea. Because this is going to be the first time you're going to have a chance to run your new offense against a live defense. You don't want to go unveil something new that you haven't run before when you go to Austin on the road in front of 100,000 people at night, national TV, everything that's going to be on the line in that game. So I think against Georgia Southern, you go out there and you run your offense. You run your And look, there, there's going to be wrinkles that you throw in for Texas and for every opponent. But you've got to go out there and run your offense so that way you can become efficient and proficient at running it because you don't want to stumble all over yourself against Texas when it's the first time you've done it. So I understand the question, but I just don't think that's – I don't think that's that's the path to go in that instance. Kirk Paul is chass on 100%. You think he'll be used differently since Coach O wants to run more four-man fronts. So, no, I don't think he's used differently. Uh, a four-man front, but keep in mind, four-man front, though, he's not talking about a traditional 4-3. He's talking about taking that outside linebacker and walking him up to the line of scrimmage, which is what Arden Key did, which is what, Chasson is going to do. I, I don't think there's any question. They just they didn't have the luxury of doing that last year because when Chasson went down, they tried so many different guys. And I mean, they tried everybody from um, you know the 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 JUCO transfers. They tried guys that that hadn't played a ton. Ray Thornton. I mean, they tried all these. They even tried Patrick Queen at outside linebacker, and nobody could really fill the role of Chasson. So they got creative, and they used Stevens in that safety sort of hybrid role. Delpit blitzed a ton. They even brought uh, Devin White on delayed blitzes. They just had to find a creative way to manufacture a pass rush because they didn't have a guy that could do that. I think Chasson changes the math for you, and you can put him at the line of scrimmage in a three-point stance or a two-point stance and let him rush the pass. I think that's probably more what he means. Uh, Daniel Elston, how much of Joe Brady's new offense do we see week one? I'm guessing they don't show too much saving for Texas Week 2. Uh, I couldn't have planned that better if I tried. Just answered that question. But it's, I, I don't think it's one of those things where you play it close to the vest because if you go out there against Texas and that's your first shot having run a lot of this stuff, uh, you're setting yourself for, for a lot of hiccups and mishits. I would rather drop passes on slip screens or, you know, pass goes out, receiver goes in. I'd rather that against Georgia Southern so you can go correct it then have it happen for the first time against Texas, where you miss fire, it could be a pick six, and that costs you the game. Mark Allen, who will be the right tackle by the end of the season? Um, I'd still go with Austin Deculus. Uh, you know, Adrian McGee and Badara Traora all had time at right tackle last year along with Deculus. 
But Deculus won the job. He kept playing for a reason because even though he struggled, he was still a better option than those other guys. And I'll tell you this, I think Deculus among them is the best run blocker. And something that Joe Brady has said often this offseason is if guys are struggling on the offensive line, the answer isn't max protection. The answer is spread them out, get rid of the ball, quit more quickly. And I think that alleviates some of the the pressure on a guy like Deculus. So if you made me pick, I would still go with Deculus. And um, Stephen Bro says, uh, is there more to the Aranda Cocho story? Do you think Aranda is here next year? I, I don't think there's more to it. I think LSU has built in protections to keep Dave Aranda. Uh, you, are, you give him $2.5 million a year, you're severely limiting the number of programs in college football that can pay him $2.5 million. What I know is Dave Aranda's family loves Baton Rouge. Um, his wife was was tired of moving. They'd moved some like four times in five years. Uh, they got small kids, and they loved Baton Rouge and didn't want to leave when A&M came calling. And they were that was close. But ultimately, it was, it was a family decision that kept Dave in Baton Rouge. Um, now, after this season, two seasons later, do they make the decision if the right offer comes? I think it would either have to be a head coaching job or an NFL DC job that would take him out of Baton Rouge. But I don't think there's anything more to the Ogeron Aranda thing. Uh, I definitely know that Dave Aranda did not like being chewed up by Ed Ogeron at the end of the first half of the the Fiesta Bowl. Um, but I don't think that alone is a reason he would leave. I think it'd have to be the right opportunity for him. And I also think Dave Aranda appreciates that he has full autonomy by Ed Ogeron to run the defense the way he wants. So as long as he has that and he's making $2.5 million a year and his family's happy, I think he'll be here. If you ask me if I think he's here next year, I would say yes, unless if that that perfect opportunity comes. I don't think Dave Aranda's looking to leave. But if someone comes and makes him an offer like Georgia did to Kirby Smart to make him a head coach, does he go be a Power 5 head coach? I would say yes. All right, that's going to do it for us here. Another edition, a Friday edition of the Locked on LSU podcast. We appreciate you for being here. Please share the podcast. Pass it on. Tell your friends. We'll be back on Monday. We'll have a Jaqueline Roy's announcement by then. And uh, LSU will report to camp next week. So we'll be talking about it next week on the Locked on LSU podcast. Your team every day.